Introducing the one, the only, Mr. Mickey Mouse. Hello, hi there. Welcome to my park. How you doing? Hello. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? You are not Mickey Mouse. You are a rat. Rat, Matt. Besides, they're tourists. What do they know? W. Everybody and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 335 for the week of September 8th, 2013. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic to wherever you are with this podcast, my new Disney in a Minute videos, blog, live broadcasts, special events, my Walt Disney World trivia books, audio tour CDs, and more. You can find it all over at www.radio.com. This week, we're going to celebrate Mickey Mouse's upcoming 85th birthday and discuss how November 18th became his official birth date. We'll also look at the history of Mickey in the parks, dating back to Disneyland, and then explore and seek out Mickey Mouse in Walt Disney World. From extinct attractions and character appearances to where Mickey can be found in the parks today, we'll also discuss the future of Mickey in the Disney parks and ask you to play armchair Imagineer and design your own Mickey Mouse attraction. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have some updates and announcements, including more information about upcoming special events, including our e-ticket weekend scavenger hunt and much more. I'll then have more of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. time to enjoy some of the many things and events that happen only during this time of year. There's Halloween and Thanksgiving, and my favorite holiday is the Epcot Food and Wine Festival, and so many other things to celebrate, including birthdays, like Mickey Mouse's, right? We all know that his birthday is November 18th, and this year he's celebrating his 85th on that day, or is he? We'll answer that question and pose a few more as we talk not just about Mickey's birthday, but also take a close look at Mickey Mouse in Walt Disney World. And joining me this week is a man who loves a good birthday party and cake. 
He has worn his fair share of Mickey ears and misses the Birthday Land Express. He is author, historian, magician, and possibly the star of the next Avengers film. He is Jim Corcus. <laughs> Well, thank you, Lou. I, 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 yeah, don't set the bar too high there for, for me to, to, to do that. I, I wish I could be there in person with you. But again, as you said, you, you brought up uh, uh, Mickey's birthday. And just like so many of your uh, listeners, I'm, I'm decorating the house and putting up the decorations <laughs> for, for Mickey's birthday on September 28th. Uh, right. So, Jim, we're going to start off this week by letting you crush literally crush my daughter and her parents because my daughter we celebrated her birth when she was born on november 18th mickey's birthday literally within minutes after she was born she was holding a small mickey mouse plush doll it was as if she had planned it she waited until that time to share her birthday with mickey mouse and now you are going to summarily crush my daughter's Basically, her entire life and the lie that she's been living all these years. Uh, it, it's just I don't know pressure. Because I'm, no pressure I'm, a, I'm a mean, vicious, uh, <laughs> vicious uh, uh, person. You, you know, we've only been celebrating November 18th uh, as Mickey's official birthday for for roughly about 80, uh, 35 years, uh, because it was uh, Dave Smith at the Disney Archives who came and said, "This is Mickey's official birthday. This is the." This is the day it was shown at the uh, Colony Theater uh, in New York, which now is, is called the Broadway Theater, and they even do uh, uh, stage plays in there now. But November 18th is, is the official birthday. But we've only been doing that for 35 years. And, uh, and, and, and Dave had to come up with that because 1978 was Mickey's 50th birthday, and there was going to be all of these Events. Ward Kimball was going to be on a, a, a train that would uh, uh, go cross country uh, uh, from California to the uh, to the Broadway Theater and, and make 27 uh, uh, whistle stops, and there was a special logo and all that. So it was very important uh, for Disney and Disney merchandising to have a specific date for that to happen. But for the previous 50 years. <laughs> Uh, Mickey's birthday was usually celebrated on September 28th. But, but, let, but let's really quickly, let's just, Jim, for, so people know, let's tell people why November 18th was chosen, right? That was not sort of an arbitrary date. Right. That's that was when Mickey's, Steamboat Willie was right. shown at the Colony Theater. And uh, it, it was, uh, believe it or not, an afternoon show. Uh, so when you celebrate, you want to officially celebrate Mickey's birthday, it should be noon uh, roughly noon uh, Eastern Standard Time on November 18th. That's when uh, uh, Steamboat Willie. And so uh, uh, Dave's uh, uh, contention was that even though there were other films like Plain Crazy and Galloping Gaucho that had been made uh, uh, before and all of this, this was the first time that Mickey was really shown to the, uh, to the general public. And uh, this is the first time you get reviews in uh, Variety and the trade papers and, and all of that. So Mickey Mouse becomes, you know, this uh, immediate popular cartoon uh, character. And so November 18th is considered. And, and Dave went back and found a program, uh, you know, from November 18th, and he looked 
at the uh, the reviews that said, you know, yesterday at the Colony Theater, they had that, you know, and it was just a delight, a wonderful novelty. Um, so November 18th was, was that, and he said, this is the thing that makes sense. Now, of the Fab Five, there are only three characters that officially celebrate birthdays, and, and that's Mickey and Minnie, because it's also Minnie's birthday, November uh, 18th, and we don't talk about a woman's age, but, but uh, uh, she's comparable to Mickey there. And uh, uh, Donald Duck, uh, who uh, uh, appeared in Wise Little Hen. Dave said, you know, there, there were so many evolutions of Dippy Dog Goofy that you can't point at one. And the same thing with, with Pluto. You know, everybody points at the black and white Mickey cartoon chain gang and says, well, those bloodhounds there, that, that's Pluto. And you take a look at that and you, you squint and you turn your head and you go, well, it's a dog, you know. And then the next time he appears, he's called Rover and he's Minnie's dog. So, you know, uh, only three of the uh, characters of uh, the Fab Five have an official birthday. And Mickey and Minnie's official birthday is because that's when Steamboat Willie was released to the general public. So let me ask you, Jim Corcus, what yes. do you, th- if you were, were the, the, the man in charge of deciding when Mickey's birthday should be, is the 18th the appropriate day, or do you think there's another one that you, you think I, I should think be? it should be my birthday, August 15th. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure on August 15th, Walt and Ub were talking about Mickey Mouse at some point, so that's that's the true beginning. No, I think I think November eighteenth makes the most uh, sense because you know there was there was so much. Um, what do I want want to say? Uh, it, there, it was ambivalent. It was ambiguous. There was there was no documentation. You know. Uh, Walt came back uh, 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 from New York in um, uh, late March, 1928. So on the train ride, is that considered the official birth of That's Mickey? what I was going to ask. Like, if we knew the date of the train ride, we could almost sort of put it there. But but, but then again, you're going into the thing of, with research today, they say that Walt may have come up with the idea of a, of a mouse, but it really wasn't the Mickey Mouse that we know today. It was after he got off the train, and he was uh, talking with his brother and talking with Ub Iwerks. And Ub Iwerks, in a 1956 interview with uh, 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 Disney, the Disney recorded, um, was talking about, yeah, Walt came off the train. He, you know, he said, well, you know, we probably shouldn't do cats. There are too many cats out there or dogs. And he says, we were looking through uh, magazines, Life magazine and, and Judge magazine, which no longer exists, but they all had cartoons in them. And um, there was an uh, artist by the name of uh, Meek, M-E-E-K, who drew mice. But the mice were, were in little frilly white shorts and, you know, uh, uh, black uh, knicker pants and all that, and they had two-tone uh, ears. But if you take a look at the very first sheet where Ub Iwerks was drawing Mickey Mouse, there's six images of Mickey Mouse. The Walt Disney Family Museum has this now, and uh, it was locked away in a safe for decades, literally, at, at Disney. 
and this is considered the very first sheet where iWorks was drawing mice. If you look in the upper left-hand corner, there's a Mickey Mouse that looks very much like these drawings that Meek did of, of mice. You know, and uh, we, we consider it today the Little Lord uh, Fauntleroy Mickey because that was the type of outfit that young children would wear, you know, at, at, uh, at that time. But, uh, by golly, you know, uh, so was it on the train? Was it when Ub Iwerks finally did it? Was it when he did the very first drawing for, for Plain Crazy? Is it, is it, the, is it the date that um, Walt trademarked Mickey Mouse? You know, there's all sorts of, of, of options. And, of course, the Disney Company took advantage of that. Um, so for the first 50 years, almost any date between September and the end of November was considered Mickey's birthday if it happened to fall on a weekend right. where in the theater you could host a Mickey Mouse um birthday party you could rent multiple mickey mouse cartoons from the disney company to run you know uh now most often uh the date was september 28th and in fact there's newspaper articles where where walt says yes mickey's birthday is is september 28th because uh, that's when we started the first drawing of him but but walt would say these things all the time just to you know right uh, uh, do this. In, in fact, uh, Mickey's uh, seventh birthday, his lucky birthday, was celebrated over four days. And um, from September 28th to uh, October 1st. And so there were even adult parties, you know, held in New York in nightclubs and things like that. And there was a radio broadcast and, and stuff like that. October 1st was often celebrated as, as Mickey's birthday. Maybe, you know, and uh, I would hate to have that then because then that messes with uh, Magic Kingdom's birthday and Epcot's birthday and and uh, all of that. But, yeah, for for 50 years, Mickey's birthday was, was all over the map. But, but as I said, most frequently it was considered September 28th, and you would see that in magazine articles, you would see that in books, and it, it was thanks to uh, uh, Dave Smith, uh, who did many, many things. And I think I, I think we forget how how many uh, significant contributions he's made to uh, to to Disney history. Who sat down and said, "Well, let's make sense of this. <laughs> what really makes sense about how and when Mickey was born?" And it really just seems to make sense that. The debut of Steamboat Willie, that was it. So November eighteenth. So yes, your 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 daughter can can still hug her little uh, uh, plush Mickey and and dream dreams of that because that is his birthday now. Whatever it's it, it, it's like an actor changing his name. You know, we don't remember Archibald Leach, but we remember Cary Grant, right. and he'll always be Cary Grant. You know. No, no person uh, uh, watches, uh, you know, um, Charade or North by Northwest and go, oh, that's Archie Leach there. <laughs> well, more importantly, you're, you're saving me from years of paid psychotherapy for my daughter that I've been lying to about her birthday, sharing it with Mickey all these years. So, 
So what I want to do, Jim, is I want to, before we talk about Mickey in the parks today, I want to sort of continue on in the the genesis of Mickey sort of having a physical presence, not necessarily in Walt Disney World, because obviously it, it started back not with Disneyland, but with this idea of this Mickey Mouse Park. Yes. And, uh, you, you know, we were, we were talking November 18th being the, the, the birthday. Within the first year, two, three years, it, w- it was like lightning striking. You know, Mickey w- w- was more popular than I think any other character or any other star was in, in a short amount uh, uh, of time. And, and uh, even j- during those first two or three years, uh, people were writing that they wanted to come to the Disney studio to meet Mickey Mouse. The Disney Archives actually has a letter from silent screen actress uh, Mary Pickford that says, oh, I'll be dropping by the, the uh, Disney studio, make sure Mickey is available to say hello. <laughs> you know, and it's like, what is this woman thinking? Um, and, and so Walt uh, was thinking, we've got to come up with something. At, at the studio, the first thing he did, uh, like 1932, is he had a garage where he had uh, uh, two cars. They were um, 1931 uh, Austin sedans, which were like mini cars, little mini cars, and they were very popular with celebrities. Only a, a certain number were, were made, but Walt got them. He, he put a Mickey sticker on the side, and then over the garage doors, there were two doors, he had a triangular sign. One said Mickey and one said Minnie. So if kids showed up or somebody showed up, uh, uh, Walt could say, oh, you know, you just missed him. You know, obviously he lives here. Here's his garage. Here's his cars. He, he's, he's out right now. He probably won't be back until much later or tomorrow. And until one little six-year-old girl goes, he didn't go to the store. And, and Walt says, no, yeah, yes, yes, of course he, he did. He needed some cheese. And all. she said, how come he didn't take his car? <laughs> and Walt, being the great storyteller that he is, goes, well, you know, all that cheese that Mickey eats puts on a little weight. And so the doctor says... He has to walk to the store across town <laughs> if he's going to buy cheese so that he can, you know, burn off some of those calories. And so when Walt moved into Burbank, he realized, I've got to have something because these requests are still coming in. And so right across the street, Riverside Drive, he was going to have a little Mickey Mouse Park, which was uh, about eight a- acres. There was a blank spot of land over there, a little sort of triangular piece. And uh, there would be a small train, there'd be a, a, a waterfall, there'd be a little uh, western town and all that. But he was going to have statues of Mickey Mouse and the other Disney characters so that people could come over and get their pictures taken. And, uh, of course, as we know, uh, Burbank didn't want that in Burbank. They thought it was a carnival and it would bring in the type of people that go to carnivals and they don't want that which was great because then Walt thought bigger and you got Anaheim. But now that you've got Disneyland, you've got Roy O. Disney, Walt's brother, stepping in and going, okay, I'm going to help you get this started, but we have to be very careful from a business sense because this could crash and burn. So we don't want you to use the the top-line characters like Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and, and all of that in the park because if the park collapses, that ruins the brand. 
So really don't do that. So Walt said, okay, but I'm putting Mickey in the front. And the floral Mickey is in the front of the Disney park because that resembled the title card on the Mickey Mouse cartoon. Some of you remember that where Mickey's face is there and you have the yellow sunbeams in the back and all that. That's why there's a floral Mickey. Is it supposed to be the title card of what you're going to see? You're going to see a Disney production. And when people saw the, the Mickey title card in theaters, they cheered and all of this. And so that's what you're going to have. But once you got into Disneyland, other than um, Mickey on, on some uh, uh, pieces of merchandise, Mickey didn't exist. You know, even, even though Mickey was there on, on uh, opening day in a, in a costume borrowed from the uh, uh, ice capades, that was it. That was a one-day shot. He was Mickey Mouse wasn't there walking around for you to 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 greet and all that until about 1961. So so you've got about five or six years before you've got to walk around Mickey in the park, and because uh, they didn't want to tie the park too closely in with Mickey Mouse because Disneyland may collapse and burn, there's no Mickey attraction. There's no Mickey Mouse attraction in in, in Fantasyland. Now there's a a um, uh, a theater in Fantasyland, the um, uh, Fantasyland Theater there, uh, would show in a continuous loop uh, uh, three or four uh, Mickey Mouse uh, uh, cartoons. One of them was uh, a band concert. But even the Main Street Cinema didn't show Mickey Mouse cartoons. They showed silent live-action uh, uh, live action movies. The only cartoon they showed was Gertie the Dinosaur. That was it. In 1978, to celebrate Mickey's 50th, that's when the Main Street Cinema converted so that all six of its screens showed Mickey Mouse cartoons. So the early years of, of Disneyland, you go in there, and where's Mickey Mouse? And, you know, th this is what people want to see is Mickey Mouse. So you really have to wait until 1971 to have any permanent physical location where you had Mickey Mouse. And, and, and that was, of course, with the opening of uh, Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom. And uh, the attraction I'm talking about is what, Lou? It's one of the ones, Jim, that, that you know, when, we pe when people talk about extinct attractions, their, their mind normally goes to Horizons, 20,000 mm -hmm. Leagues Under the Sea, the Skyway. For a lot of people, especially who are, you know, Disney character fans, and for me, as a kid who was there very early on in 1971, I think about the Mickey Mouse review, right? I, I remember seeing, and what struck me about it was this audio animatronic Mickey Mouse, right? This was, it was an e-ticket, literally it was an e-ticket, it was later a D-ticket attraction, but in the pre-show area, you saw these sort of, these images of Mickey through the years, but when you stepped into the theater... And this Maestro Mickey comes out and leads this orchestra of 60 characters, and there's Snow White and Alice, and I remember not knowing who Br'er Fox and Br'er Bear were at that point, and the three caballeros. But that was, you know, you, you think about early Walt Disney World and, and things like Fantasyland, you know, for me and for a lot of people, I think, you know, that was it. That is where you saw Mickey in the Magic Kingdom. Well, and, and, you know, even today there are people who don't know who Brer Fox is <laughs> and the three caballeros and all that. And that Mickey figure 
was the most complicated audio animatronics figure ever built uh, up to that point. He, he stood about, uh, I think it was about 42 inches high, but I know he had 33 different functions. And uh, Bill Justice, the Disney legend Bill Justice, is the one who designed that attraction, designed Mickey, and programmed Mickey. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, Bill said it almost sent him, you know, running to an insane asylum because, <laughs> you know, you have Mickey conducting, but in those days, too, there's limits to audio animatronics. So, you know, getting the uh, uh, hand up in the air high enough and then dropping immediately to keep in rhythm with the music was, was a, a living nightmare. But the interesting thing is, is... Bill did this because he said, you know, it's our characters. People want to come and see our characters, and there's no place where they're guaranteed to see the characters, especially Mickey Mouse. We've got to start with Mickey Mouse. So, you know, he, he cut out paper, literally, to create a little model, and Roy O. Disney, Walt's brother, looked at it, and he says, this is what we should be spending our money on. And so Mickey Mouse Review was supposed to be the signature attraction uh, for for Magic Kingdom. That when you thought about Magic Kingdom, when you thought about Florida, that was the attraction that you wanted to see. It turned out that Country Bears was the one that took the the spotlight. But the intention was, my gosh, this this is Mickey. And and yeah, and Mickey Mouse Review just sort of faded away, and we really didn't get a chance to say you know, goodbye to it. It, it. it just sort of ran off with a, a, a Japanese boyfriend for a couple <laughs> of years. So, 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 so it's like, oh, you broke our heart. You broke our heart, but we, but we know you're, you know, in another country and you're still surviving. And, of course, that, uh, you know, uh, finally closed uh, um, as well. But, yes, that was the very first Mickey Mouse attraction uh, in, in a Disney park, and it was the very first place where you could be guaranteed to see a uh, a Mickey figure. Yeah, and I think, like you said, it went away sort of unceremoniously, obviously because there were not discussion forums and Facebooks that people could go out and, and complain about it. And, and it was only there for, you know, about less than nine years, right? So there mm -hmm. was no sort of emotional attachment to that attraction. I know a lot of people, when it closed in Tokyo in, I guess it was around May of 2009, Mm -hmm. Also to be replaced by by PhilharMagic, some people had speculated. Oh, well, you know, we're in this sort of sense of nostalgia in the Disney parks right now. Are they going to bring this attraction back? Right, box them up, crate them, ship them back over, and bring him back to the Fantasyland Theater. That obviously did not happen. I don't know if it could happen because trying to bring back a show that at the point was you know nearly forty years old. Uh, the sense of nostalgia might have worn off very quickly and people would have wanted something a little bit more high-tech, right? And again, because there wasn't that sort of, not that emotional connection to the specific attraction itself. Well, uh, but, but again, I, uh, actually there were three figures that were, were saved. Epcot paid money to save um, the three caballeros. There were several right. three caballeros uh, sets in there, but they saved one of the sets. Imagineering had quoted a price, but then Imagineering, those son of a guns, uh, <laughs> when they grabbed the characters and cleaned them and packed them, they said, oh, but we forgot to charge you for shipping and handling, and, and all, 
Because what was going to happen was Epcot was going to install them at the end of the Mexico Pavilion right. ride. And uh, because everybody complained that the, the finale wasn't as impressive as it could have been, but it would have been impressive. You've got these three audio-animatronic figures there. But what happened is Imagineering, again, it has a high overhead, kept adding on additional costs. And so the money that they had to install the figures were used paying Imagineering. So these are wrapped up safely. They're backstage at Epcot waiting to be installed. And, of course, the little Tinkerbell, um, uh, uh, not the Tinkerbell figure. Yes, Tinkerbell figure no, or Alice, the Alice figure. Alice figure in um, Mickey Mouse Review uh, was used by um, uh, Tony Baxter. Uh, he put a, um, a motor in it and transformed it into Tinkerbell. So just like a, uh, you know, a remote-controlled radio car or whatever, you could have Tinkerbell fly down the parade route. And they, they actually did that uh, several times at, at, at night. You know, when the, when the park was empty to see how that worked. And the reason we don't have that today is because legal stepped in and said, uh, you know, if, uh, if uh, you get the electrical, uh, the radio waves jammed or whatever, and this 18-pound figure, you know, crashes to the floor, this is not good. And if it crashes on a guest, that's even worse. You can't do that. But uh, Mickey Mouse Review was going to give us a Tinkerbell that flew down, you know, in front of the parade and went around the parade floats. And uh, yeah, and I had actually heard, and, and I can neither confirm nor deny, but I had heard that because, and look, we forget, Jim, that it does cost money to create these figures and ship them and, right. and store them. What I had understood was that it was actually less expensive. It was, it was more cost-effective other than to save a, a couple of figures here and there, and from what I understand, Mickey was one that was saved too. It was more cost-effective to destroy the figures in Tokyo than it was to ship them back here and store yeah. them and whatnot. So we will probably never, ever see those figures again. But I, I want to sort of... And oh, well, we'll, talk that, well that's, a, that's, a, that's a nice, cheery note. Well, you know... I, I, I'm, I'm always glad to be on Walt Disney <laughs> uh, WDW Radio here where, where it's always so positive. Yes, they were destroyed. Well, it's sad. They right? were cannibalized, and we will never, <laughs> never, ever see them again. I don't know if I put it that way, but listen, we're going to come full circle. It's okay, right? It's okay because we lost Mickey Mouse Review. Eventually, things come full circle, and we get Philhar Magic. We'll talk about that in a little while, but I want to stay in the past just a little bit because you talked about how in 1971, this was the only place in the park that you were mm -hmm. guaranteed to see Mickey, right? And it sort of right. almost doesn't make sense because you think, I want to go to Disney World, I want to go see Mickey Mouse, and people walk in and you know where to find Cinderella, she's got her castle, you know where to find this princess, you know where to find these characters, but there is no place to find Mickey Mouse and it takes, you know, a, a, a more than a decade, almost two decades before it almost sort of prompts them to do something like the creation of Birthday Land, right? The creation of Birthday Land was part of that solving that dilemma, right? They, they couldn't find Mickey in the parks, and also it's a place to give him a, a more permanent home and obviously generate a little bit of revenue at the same time. So, you know, although Mickey's birthday was a couple of months off, it wasn't until the summer of 1988 that they realized, hey, November 18th, according to Dave mm -hmm. Smith, is his birthday, we need to do something for Mickey. And oh, by the way, guys, 
you've got three months to get it done. Go out and build us, you know, go out and build us birthday land. And, you know, a, a lot of this is um, uh, due to Michael Eisner. Again, Michael Eisner, I, I, I think, uh, uh, doesn't get enough uh, uh, credit for uh, some of the things that uh, he did, especially in, in the beginning of, of his, uh, uh, his term there. He had been on board maybe four years at this point, and he's taking a look. And the most frequently asked question at a Disney theme park was not when's the three o'clock parade. The most frequently asked question by a huge margin is where is Mickey Mouse? Where can I see Mickey Mouse? And what they had done, and, and Walt had started this in 61, is, well, Mickey and the gang live at the park, so you don't know when you're going to see them. You know, they may, they may be wandering around. Usually they're in fantasy land, but not always. And, you know, uh, it, it was just serendipity. It was just... Uh, you know, just that little extra magic, you know, so there there was no time schedule. You didn't know. And and oftentimes in the early days of uh, uh, character walk-arounds, you didn't know who was going to show up for work that day, you know, so which character was, was, was going to be available. Um, so Michael Eisner took a look of, you know, look how that 50th took off we're going to times that by 10 or times that by 100 for Mickey's 60th birthday in 1988. And, and they did. They did a tremendous amount of things. But one of the things that Eisner says is we've got to have a person. If, if we're publicizing Mickey's birthday, we've got to have a place where people can come in and, you know, um, by golly, you know, uh, get a picture, get an autograph. And they're guaranteed uh, that. And so, yes, so you've got Mickey's birthday land. And again, as, as you said, it came up, you know, just in a, in a, in a couple of months, this is not a, an imagineering, uh, 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 project. This really is, uh, you know, let's get operations in here and all this, and we'll put up a couple of facades. Uh, people don't realize that Donald's boat in Mickey's birthday land was a facade. It wasn't something that you could go in. And there was a, a facade for Duckburg mm-hmm. because uh, DuckTales were were on TV, and so you're doing that cross promotion. And nobody was quite sure where does Mickey live. Does Mickey live in in Hollywood? Does he live in Burbank? Does he live in Mouseville? You know, so we'll just stick Duckburg there. But uh, you had Mickey's house, and Mickey's house looked completely different than the one that ended up in Toontown at Disneyland, and the one that ended up at Toontown Fair. Uh, but it had that same basic concept as you were going through Mickey's house and you could, you know, uh, then when you went outside, there was the, there was this building set up so that you could go in and, uh, you would see, um, uh, a, a show, uh, uh, Mickey's birthday party where, where Minnie is, uh, uh, planning the surprise birthday party for Mickey and all of that. And so you're all in there and you're, you're singing along and you're cheering and you get to wish Mickey a happy birthday for crying out loud. And then after the party, you can go out and there's different little rooms and you can go in and, and you can see uh, Mickey, which was a tremendously clever idea, which, which is still used, you know, uh, to this, to this day, you know, you go into a, a, a separate area and into different rooms. You can, you can meet Mickey. 
Yeah, and you know, again, we and I'll link in the show notes to where we had actually talk about Mickey's Toontown Fair. I still have an audio guide where you can learn sort of all about the history and sort of a virtual walkthrough of Mickey's Toontown Fair and how that sort of progressed over time to Starland and and the Toontown and then obviously its storybook circus now. But mm-hmm. again, there's one other thing too because again, in the 70s and even in the early 80s, right, when Epcot Center first opened, there was this idea that it was going to be a very different and distinct park and experience than what you had in the Magic Kingdom. And one of the things that was noticeably absent, once again, were characters, specifically Mickey Mouse, right? Eisner said he wanted to, dif- to originally they wanted to differentiate the park, and then Eisner was like, wait a minute, you know, Mickey Mouse is our bread and butter. He needs to be present here. I'm sure we've all seen and or remember the images of Goofy and Mickey in their very futuristic rainbow, you know, Buck Rogers spacesuit that we're all going to be wearing in 2013. But he wasn't there uh, there initially as well. And, and there's a very funny story uh, uh, behind that, that, the whole point was, and and Dick Nunes ex- ex- explained this, is that um, Epcot was supposed to not be in competition with the Magic Kingdom, but was supposed to be complementary to the Magic Kingdom. You know, a different annex, a different uh, experience. You know, and so Mickey and his friends lived at the Magic Kingdom. And so that's what you're going to have is Mickey and his friends living at the Magic Kingdom so they wouldn't be at Epcot. And the whole concept was that each pavilion was going to have their own character. And the first that was developed, of course, was Dreamfinder and Figment. But there, there were plans in the works so that every pavilion in Future World was going to have its own character. And so you're going to create uh, this whole new mythology. And... Um, Yes, so Mickey Mickey was not at Epcot. And so uh, when Michael Eisner uh, was uh, brought on board, 84, 85 there, uh, he was walking in Epcot, and he was walking with uh, Dick Nunes, and he was, uh, Dave Venables was a lot. Dave Venables is the one who told me this uh, uh, story. Dave Venables was in charge of uh, the manager of guest relations at that uh, uh, particular point. And so they're, they're walking. Uh, uh, through the park, and uh, at one point, Michael Eisner turns to Nunes, and he goes, uh, you know, Dick, we've been here about 20 minutes, and, and I haven't seen uh, uh, Mickey. And Nunes then goes into that whole explanation of, you know, well, this is a different experience in the Magic Kingdom, and da-da-da, and Mickey lives over at the Magic Kingdom. And Venable said, the look on Eisner's face was like from a Tex Avery cartoon where the, <laughs> the tongue falls out of the mouth and the eyes pop out. And Eisner just said, that stops as of now. And within two weeks, yes, you had Farmer Mickey uh, in the land. You had, had Mickey in his kilts in, uh, 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 over there in the, in the, in the U.K., uh, you had you had those uh, uh, Captain EO uh, uh, rainbow suits for for Mickey and and, and the rest, and uh, because Eisner realized people came to the parks to see the characters. Now, how do you justify that if if these characters are living over at the Magic Kingdom? And so basically, what they came up with uh, to to cover all of this is that. Yes, Mickey and the gang 
live at the Magic Kingdom, they are on vacation at Epcot visiting their friends around the world. That's why you had that uh, big double-decker bus with the characters, and the characters would be on it and then come out for the meet-and-greet, and they had the suitcases on the side of the bus because the characters are there visiting, visiting Snow White in Germany, you know, visit, all of that. That justifies why the characters are there at Epcot. And then at the studios, that's where the characters work. And then when you go to Animal Kingdom, they're on safari. That's why they're in all the safari gear and all of that, is they're on safari and that whole uh, uh, uh jungle jingle parade there is because they're making their way through the jungle right and so let's sort of talk about then mickey in the parks today and there is only one mickey he he does get around very there quickly is only there's one only mickey. one mickey and, and and that's what walt said too a little little girl wrote to him in the 30s and said uh, uh uh which is the real mickey i see mickey everywhere because there were a lot of homemade costumes there were a lot of costumes that were made for promotions, even for the Mickey Mouse Club Theater's uh, uh, events on the Saturday matinees. And Walt wrote back, and he says, well, Mickey is like Santa Claus. You may see a lot of different ones, but there is only really one. There's only and one the Mickey. And the spirit of Mickey is in, in, is in these others. Right, and, and Mickey in Disney World, he just he, he's able to to get himself from park to park very quickly. So if you're yes. in Animal Kingdom, you used to see him over at Camp Mini Mickey. Now it's the Adventurers Outpost, right? Mm-hmm. Where you can sort of, which I, I like, and this is a separate topic, but I like because they want you to sort of get this feeling that you're going to share stories from all your expeditions around the world. Mm-hmm. At Hollywood Studios, he throws right. on his Sorcerer Mickey outfit. You can see him over at Magic Disney Animation. In mm-hmm. Epcot, he is now in the wonderfully air-conditioned, one of the coolest places on property, the character spot. But let's really talk about, let's sort of go back to the Magic Kingdom, right? When you couldn't find him anywhere at first, now he has his permanent home at the Town Square Exposition Hall. And the Mickey that we see there, that wonderful Mickey that we see there, celebrates Magician Mickey, right? It was sort of inspired by that 1937 right. film. Right, yes. Yes, he's, he's, he's the performer, Mickey, and he's the... The Mickey, who was the magician in, in in the in the 1930s, who would do magic shows and all that, just like Walt loved doing magic shows. And this is one of my favorite locations because obviously it, it keeps with the theme of Main Street USA, but you really sort of get this sense that you're going backstage to meet Magician Mickey. The first time I went there, Jim, I, I looked at Mickey and Minnie and I said, "I'd love you guys, but I'm really here to take pictures of all the cool details that the Imagineers yes. put in here." <laughs> no, you 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 and me both, and 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 I think. That uh, is very uh, uh, wise on the Disney Company's part. I uh, I wish they would do this more often, because this was part of Walt's philosophy, especially with uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Is it's loaded with so many things, you can't absorb it all in, in one visit. You've got to keep coming back because there's little things just right around the corner or on the top or or, or whatever. So you know. Uh, Multiple visits, multiple visits to uh, to go do that. I, I miss uh, having um, a theater space uh, in, in that building, but uh, I, 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 I think they did a magnificent job uh, of, of theming the area and of um, and, and, and the room is so intimate that you really do feel you're having a one-on-one experience yeah. with Mickey. It, it, it's not like, 
well, here's this big warehouse, and here's a character, and, and 20 feet down, there's another character, and, you know, 50 feet down, there's another character, so work your way down the line. It, it really is, this is an intimate experience, and it really looks like Mickey's uh, dressing room. And what I like about this, too, and what I think we, we've seen, a, a hint of this, a little sneak peek in the past, I think this is going to be one of these places, Jim, where, pardon the, the, the intentional pun, magic is really going to happen. Because mm-hmm. as we start to see Mickey not just become more articulated, but be able to talk, and with the evolution of this next gen and my magic bands, when you're able to walk in there and Mickey knows your name or the name of your child and is able to interact with them on a much more intimate, personal level, mm-hmm. that is going to change things in a way that I'm sure even Walt Disney himself never could have imagined. No, no. I, I, and that will be I, I, I almost borderline scary to me. <laughs> you know, the, I, I guess the next step would be to have cloned... Uh, uh, Mickey's walking, uh, you know, uh, uh, you get DNA from somewhere and you, you do that, but no, this is, uh, uh, this is something that Walt never would have, uh, have imagined because again, when you take a look at the early walk around Mickey characters, they really are horrendous. You know, some of them are literally six feet tall. Uh, downright, and, and, they were downright frightening. Yeah, and, 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 and again, up until 61, up until, uh, you know, Walt jumped in and said, we've got to do these costumes ourselves, you know, you're borrowing from the ice capades, and the, and the costumes are designed, you know, for an ice skater, you know, so you, you have to have, you know, the peripheral vision has to be light enough so that, you know, and so they really aren't meant for a, a meet-and-greet type experience, and yet, as frightening as they were, Kids would run up and hug them because this is Mickey and all this, and and it has just you know continually uh, uh, improved. You know, during the seventies and the eighties, they experimented with having uh, uh, air conditioning units in the in the costume, but they found that that just added uh, uh, too much to the weight of the costume, and it also you know it, it seemed like Mickey had a goiter sticking out from <laughs> from his hip or something here uh, they they also experimented with tape recorders and and going through that but the the challenge that they ran into with that is tape recording uh, it, it's on a loop so Mickey may say one thing and then when somebody comes up to to ask you another question the next response may not match you know what that person is going to say and then again, you run into the situation that Mickey is an international icon. And so people have heard Mickey talk in their own language. You know, it, it, it was like that experience Walt had when he went to Germany with Harry Teitel, who was the uh, producer of um, uh, the weekly Disney uh, uh, TV show. They were in uh, uh, Germany, and a couple of little kids recognized Walt and ran up to him and started chattering away. And Harry could speak a little bit of German, and he says, uh, uh, "Mr. Disney is, is, is very, you know, grateful that you, you're you're so excited, but he doesn't speak any German." And these kids froze and gave him a look as if knives were coming out of their eyes. And they go, "What do you mean he doesn't speak German? We see him on TV every week, and he speaks perfect German." And then they ran away. So, but. Uh, 
I like the idea that Mickey can blink mm-hmm. because because that's an animation concept that gives a sense of life. You don't notice it, but real people blink. And so in animation, one of the things that made Disney animation different is the characters would blink. And so there was that, that sense of life. And, and then that was translated into when they did audio animatronics, and, and it was great. And now, and now you've got Mickey, and Mickey can, can blink, and he can open his mouth, and, and as you said, he can talk, for crying out loud. You know, and he sounds like Mickey, for crying out loud. This is, you know, this is just amazing. Just amazing is, is what it is. And, and I think uh, uh, a lot of kids have not seen Mickey Mouse cartoons. And that actually, that you must be reading my mind because that's, you know, when I start thinking about other places we can see him in the parks, I, I want to get over to Philhar Magic because, Jim, as, as a father of young kids, for many, many years, before the, the introduction of the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse on the Disney Channel, there was no real frame of reference for my kids to see Mickey Mouse, right? They, I would literally have to sort of make them sit down in front of the computer and watch YouTube videos of the old Mickey cartoons or when I took them into Sir Mickey's and had to explain to them who mm-hmm. Willie the Giant was and Brave Little Taylor. They, they had no content because they had not no. seen Mickey in any context. Philhar Magic, for a lot of people, is and was kids' sort of introduction into seeing Mickey on screen, right? We, we, we won't sort of do a, a full-blown review or discussion of Philhar Magic, but as long as we're staying in the Magic Kingdom, and again, mm-hmm. in the location where the Mickey Mouse review once was, you know, Mickey's Philhar Magic is sort of that embracing the, the classic, you know, conductor Mickey uh, in, in animated form. Yes, but, but the, the, the grumble that I have, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull out my old man cane here again and, and wave it in, in, in the air, you know, those kids, get off of my lawn! I can't understand the lyrics to that I'm music. literally, you know I'm going to buy you a cane, because every time yeah, you say I, this, I, I'm I think... I'm going to wave me. that cane in the air again. I'm, I'm a, I love Mickey Mouse. I'm a huge Mickey Mouse fan. But Mickey is only there at the beginning, and he's only there at the end. It, it, it's like some of the later Mickey cartoons in, in the 50s, where, where Pluto takes over, or Donald ta- ta- takes over. I want Mickey to be the star. I can't tell you how heartbroken I was when I, when I was younger and I went and I saw uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol, uh, it, you know, in the theater. That was, uh, what, 83. And uh, it's Mickey's Christmas Carol, but Scrooge is the star. <laughs> Mickey is Bob Cratchit, and he's in just a, a couple of little scenes. And to show you how even Disney animators had lost touch with Mickey, in Mickey's Christmas Carol, Minnie does not say one word because they didn't re- remember that Minnie could talk. <laughs> Minnie does not say one word, and the reason for it is because the animators involved didn't remember that Minnie could talk. And, and so that's why it took until uh, 86 for Rusie Taylor to come on, uh, on board. And they go, wait a minute, I think Minnie can talk. <laughs> We better have somebody who can talk like Minnie. So, you know, I want Mickey to be the star. For, for me, Mickey w- was always always the star. And, and especially, I think, uh, uh, the cartoons of the 30s, you know, you, you see that. You know, you, you, you see uh, uh, Two-Gun Mickey. You know, you, you see Mickey as, as the brave little tailor and all that. And, 
and by golly, he's the star. But uh, but what happens is you bring in these other characters because you're constantly needing uh, springboards for more stories. That's why you bring in nephews and you bring in you know uh, the the best friend next door and whatever because that gives you more ideas for stories. But what happens is Mickey just kept fading away and and became a corporate icon rather than this living breathing uh a character you know and uh, so i'm 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 glad there there's mickey's filler magic and i'm but i wish he was i wish he was the one having the adventures rather than donald you know it it's always easy to stick donald in any situation and you can laugh because he gets so frustrated and he deserves you know, getting hit in the head and, and kicked in the rear and, and, and all of that. You know, it, you have to be more careful with, with, with Mickey, but I want Mickey to, to be flying on that magic carpet. I want Mickey to, you know. But, Jim, um, your prayers have been answered. Your prayers, because everything that you, said, you said about bringing in other characters and, and them sort of sometimes dominating is actually present elsewhere in Walt Disney World because lest we forget that although we enjoy the music and the scenes and the action from so many other Disney characters and films, the real star of Fantasmic is Mickey, right? It's the story of, of his imagination, his dreams, his battle versus good and evil, again, being that sort of conductor and sorcerer Mickey again. And, and, and I, th- I think that's a tremendously... Uh, a clever show, you know. Um, I, I I prefer the version out in Disneyland. I don't know whether it's because I saw the Disneyland first or because I liked that they refitted the uh, Columbia as Captain Hook's pirate ship, or that you know they, the they bring out the the Mark Twain at the end, you know, uh, with all of that, and and that the one out here in uh, uh, Florida was, was built while Pocahontas was being done, which is why you've got a mountain. And you've got all the Pocahontas uh, uh, things in there, and you have kids in the audience going, "Who are those guys?" Um, but I think the Mickey elements are just tremendous. You know, Disney has tried to incorporate Mickey attractions in the in the park. You know, the um, when uh, Fantasyland was redone in '83 out in California, uh, Ward Kimball came in. And uh, was uh, 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 had designed a Mickey Mouse uh, attraction ride, uh, which was going to be uh, built, and it was a wild mouse ride, you know, like Primeval Whirl. But basically, what happens is you're trapped in a 1930s Mickey Mouse cartoon, and so as you're on this, and and you you've lost your sense of direction of where am I going and what's happening here and all this. You're running in, into figures and film clips and all this of being in a 1930s Mickey cartoon. And uh, then later, when they were going to build um, the uh, 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 movie pavilion at uh, Epcot, and they were going to have the great movie moments uh, ride, which, which I guess is probably one of our best shows ever there. <laughs> so, we should, so we should never do any other show. But, but also in that, in that pavilion was going to be Mickey's Movie Land. And so, uh, again, you would be, it, it would be a dark ride. You'd be in a, a ride vehicle like, uh, like a Snow White ride vehicle, you know, going, going through. And you're going through the creation 
of a 1930s Mickey Mouse cartoon. So you're going through the story department, you're going through the animation department, but again, since it's designed by Ward Kimball, it's all just wacky and and wild and and all of that. I I don't know if that's something. My my firm belief is you should always have an attraction that is accessible to everybody of every age, of every physical ability. You know, don't don't st- don't stick in movement like a rocking mine train car because some people don't uh, uh, go with that. But I think there should be a uh, Mickey attraction. And again, we should always go to your listeners because your listeners are 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 the smartest people on earth because they listen to WDW radio. Uh, should there be a Mickey attraction? And what should that Mickey attraction be? Because, again, we're talking, Mickey is 85 years old, so there's been so many different variations of, of Mickey. Should it, should it be themed to a Sorcerer Apprentice Mickey uh, uh, attraction? Because Sorcerer's Apprentice is so, so popular. Should it be Mickey through the years? Should it be uh, a Mickey adventure? Should it be great moments of, of of Mickey, I just think, you know, it, it should be something. And what design do you use? You, you've got those new three-minute uh, Mickey cartoons on the Disney Channel now, and and the design is, is completely different. It is is this the design that kids think of as, as Mickey? I I'm going on record. I think there should be a Mickey Mouse attraction in a Disney park, and I'm open to suggestions as to what it should look like. What do you think, Luke? And, and I think that's what we should leave the, the, that we should sort of wrap up and leave the listeners with. Lest we forget, quick mention, we can't forget about Chef Mickey's, right? Another place to meet Mickey Mouse. I remember, I remember Chef Mickey's when it was the old Chef Mickey's Village restaurant back in yes. Lake Buena Vista Village where the rainforest Boy, sits really to. you're really old. You're I'm almost old, as old as Mickey Mouse. <laughs> you know, and we can certainly talk about merchandise and hidden Mickey's. You know, look, Mickey is still incredibly beloved by so many people. And I think you're right. I think this idea of should there be a Mickey Mouse attraction in the park? What park would you put it in? What should it be like? I want you to play Imagineer for the day with unlimited budget and use technology that as you see fit. What I'd love you to do is come to WDWRadio.com. Click on this week's podcast. Leave your suggestion. Leave your idea in the show notes there. You can also go to facebook.com slash WDW Radio. Post it there. Or if you want to tweet me, I'm at Lou Mangello. When you're done doing that, right, when you're done sort of brainstorming your imaginary idea for the Mickey Mouse attraction, what I need you to do is check the show notes this week as well because there I have links to all of Jim's books. The revised Vault of Walt, Who's Afraid of Song of the South, and... Just special for Walt Disney World radio listeners coming out October 1st. It may actually be out September 28th is Vault of Walt Volume 2 with all brand new stories about Walt and the parks and the films. And it has the most magnificent forward to the book. (laughs) Who wrote the forward, Lou? Uh, Michael Eisner, Mickey Mouse. (laughs) Lou Mangello was gracious enough to write the foreword for Vault of Walt, Volume 2. It'll be out October 1st. You can order it uh, uh, from Amazon. It's at the printers right now um, being uh, uh, printed up. 
And, you know, what we should do is we should schedule a WDW radio event, a book signing, so you can sign your foreword, and I can <laughs> sign the other stuff that people aren't interested in. The rest no, of the book I listen, there. it's all about you, and I'm going to have you come back on. We're going to talk about the book and some of the stories and stuff some more. Really help get the word out about the book. You know Vault of Walt, and I'm not saying it just because I have to and you're here, but you know Vault of Walt, revised Vault of Walt, is one of my favorite Disney books in my collection, and, and nobody tells stories the way you do, Jim Corcus. So again, I'm going to link to all those books in the show notes this week so people can head on over to Amazon and get it in print or on their Kindle device. And uh, Jim, I, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your insight, your history, and waving your cane, and I think it's only appropriate that we end with one of Walt Disney's most famous quotes about his probably uh, most important accomplishment, and that is, I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse. There you go, buddy. A great show, as always. Thank you. Looking forward to coming back on again. And thank you for your kindness and for the kindness of uh, all the listeners and all the nice things that you have said. I, I love sharing information with you because you guys love it so much. Well, I'll see you in the future, Luke. See you real soon. Time once again for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I ask you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or trivia. See how well you pay attention to the details and what you see, maybe even what you hear. You can then send in your answer for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, we were talking about the Grand Floridian and all the things that we love about it. And one of the things I love, of course, is the dining. So your, your question last week was very simple. What does the name of the restaurant Narcoosie's inside the Grand Floridian mean? And again, thanks and congratulations to the hundreds of you who answered who knew that Narcoosie is a Native American term which means baby bear. So again, I randomly selected one entry from all the correct submissions. And last week's winner of the audio tours, a luggage tag, button, and a signed copy of my Walt Disney World trivia book, Volume 2, is Sharon Blair. So Sharon, congratulations. Get me your information, and I will get your package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, thanks again for playing. And don't worry, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. One of my favorite and still classic attractions over at Disney's Hollywood Studios is Jim Henson's Muppet Vision 3D. And in the attraction, Waldo, that, that computer-generated spirit of 3D, transforms himself at one point into a different character and says... They'll never recognize me now. So your challenge this week is to tell me who, what character, does Waldo transform himself into? You have two weeks to answer this question, so you have until Sunday, September 22nd at 11.59 p.m. to send your answer to contest at wdwradio.com. Again, you'll be playing for all six of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, a WW Radio luggage tag, button, and another signed copy of my Walt Disney World trivia book. Good luck and have fun.
that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. In addition to the podcast, which you can subscribe to over on iTunes, be sure and come by the website over at www.radio.com. There we have multiple daily blog posts, contests, photo galleries, my new Disney in a minute video series. You can sign up for our free email newsletter for exclusive content, contests, deals, and more. You can also download the free WW Radio app for your iOS or Android device. You can meet and chat with other Disney fans in our fun, family-friendly discussion forums. Again, there's lots more by visiting WDWRadio.com. Also, be sure and tune in every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WDWRadioLive.com. I do a live video broadcast and interactive chat every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern where we talk about this week's Walt Disney World news, and I interact with you guys in the chat room. If you can't catch it live, you can watch it on our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash WDWRadio. I'll also put the audio in the iTunes feed as well. I love hearing from you and connecting with you guys as well, too. So you can email me if you have a question you want answered on the show at lou at www.radio.com. You can also call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. If you want to leave a voicemail, say hello or ask a question. I'll play it at the end of the show. You can also connect with me on Twitter. I'm at Lou Mangello. And come by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Radio. As much as I love connecting with you online, I think nothing beats a handshake and a hug. That's why I love doing special events, including our Meets of the Month. Every month in Walt Disney World, our next Meet of the Month is actually not going to be Saturday, September 28th. I did push it forward because we're going to make it instead Saturday, October 5th as part of our e-ticket weekend. It is the beginning of the Food and Wine Festival. We have our sold-out private dinner inside the uh, Great Movie Ride on Friday night. But Saturday, we're going to be in Epcot for not just a Meet of the Month, but a new event that I'm happy to announce, and it's going to be our first ever and our first annual WDW Radio Food and Wine Quest, where you, as an individual or a team, can compete in a fun, family-friendly quest around World Showcase for a chance to win some prizes, have some fun, including winning the soon-to-be-coveted WDW Radio Cup. I'll also put details about the meat of the month, both in the blog and at the event page over at wdwradio.com. Go to our events page there by clicking on the events link at the top of the page or by going to our Facebook page. You can also get a list of all the upcoming events there as well. We have lots of other great events planned for the rest of this year and in 2014, so definitely stay tuned. Quick thanks to my partners and sponsors, Mouse Fan Travel, as you know. They are my official recommended travel provider, whether you're coming to Disney World, Land, Adventures by Disney, Disney Cruise Line, wherever it may be. Becky and her team of agents give you all available discounts, the best possible prices, more importantly, an incredible level of personal service at no additional cost to you. You can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share links on Pinterest or Instagram or Facebook and come by and comment there. And please come by, review the show and the apps over in iTunes as well. It's very, very helpful and very much appreciated. And I, of course, want to say thank you again to all of you for letting me share my passion with you each and every week. And in so many ways, I am incredibly grateful for what you allow me to do. And I want you guys to remember that anything that you dream of is within your reach, right? Anything worth having is worth waiting for. So smile and stay positive. You never know what every new day may bring. And I also need to say, with this week being September 11th, to remember the fallen and honor the heroes and remain united 
Be grateful for everything that you have. Love others and have faith. Thanks again, everybody. Have a great week. See ya. Hi, Lewis. Happy Keller, coach of the WDW Radio Running Team. I am currently at Disneyland, where they're running the Disneyland Half Marathon. Many members of the WDW Radio Running Team are here picking up their half marathon medals, their coast-to-coast medals, and their double-double air medals. We got room for many more on the team. All you need to do is go to www.wdwradio.com slash running for more information. We're having a great time here, Lou. Wish you were here. Bye. Hey, Lou. It is Wes Snyder from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Just finishing a 17-hour trip and listened to about a dozen of your podcasts. Had a great time. And I've been thinking, what happened? If someone comes up with Disney in 59 seconds, just a thought. I do love those Disney in a minute. Has a nice ring to it. Hope you're having a great time with the D23. See ya. Hi, Lou. It's Ellen, Ellen KH from the forum and uh, from the forums and from the box people. Um, I keep missing this. Um, my family and I are down at Walt Disney World now. In fact, I'm on a boat um, going from the parking lot, the TTC parking lot, over to the Magic Kingdom. So I'm thinking of your show about water, uh, best ways to enjoy Disney on the water. Um, we were in Aolani when you were there. Uh, I think we left the day after you got there, so I'm sorry we missed you there. We're down here now dropping my daughter off. Um, you may remember she had been a cast member. She had worked at Jungle Cruise and Hollywood uh, Studios at the um, American Idol attraction. She's going now to University of Central Florida for a master's in hospitality to follow her dreams. And that is coming back to work for Disney. So I wanted to mostly thank you, Lou, for those daily messages you put on Facebook and Twitter uh, about following your dreams. I know they inspire her. They inspire us. We appreciate it. One of these days we'll catch up with you at another meet and greet. It's been a long time. Um, I just wanted to say hi. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks for all that you do. Glad you're living your dreams. Bye.